Welcome to Rumor Flies. I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. I'm Greg. Thank you. Did you you forget to say your name? (laughs) No, I gave it a nice dramatic pause. And we are here for a very special In Between Seasons episode with some guests. Would the cast of World Shop like to introduce themselves really quick? No. Okay. World (laughs) Shop is a podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Um, I'm Greg. Uh, Jordan, this was our one shot. All right, this yeah, was our one, one shot, shot promotion, and you ruined it. At Rumor Flies on Twitter, thank you all so much for listening. Make sure to donate to our Patreon. Hello, we are the World Shop Podcast, a podcast where we build worlds based off the role of the twenty-sided die. I am one of the hosts, Jordan. I'm the main host, Cody. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> fighting words. The guy who just doesn't do anything but show up. I mean, that's Greg. So, hey, I, mean, I told you what this was when we started. <laughs> okay, Mr. CEO. So, Cody or Jordan, actually both Cody and Jordan, tell us a little bit about World Shop. I know I've plugged the show before on the show, but I would like to hear it just from the horse's mouth. What do you guys do? Um, what's the general premise of your show? And what ice cream flavor, particularly to each of you, if you heard somebody say was their favorite, would you lose all respect for them? Okay. Um, I guess I'll go into it. Um, so we are a world shop. What we do is we kind of do a creative writing world building exercise every week where we take a prompt that we are given off the roll of a 20 sided die. Like say for our first episode, we were given post-apocalyptic world. So we kind of designed a world after its apocalypse. Um, we've done about, I would say 40 ish worlds like that. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else to add to that or? Well, I was going to say, like, I think lately it's kind of become more of almost like we sort of tell a weird short story given the prompt of a 20-sided dice that's (laughs) supposed to kind of tell the story of a world. Um, And as far as an ice cream flavor that would make me lose all respect for somebody, I think if someone said something like squid ink or charcoal I was actually going to say squid ink because that's one that I saw when I was in Thailand. I yeah, have tried just it. one of those things that you have to spend money to get. Nope. <laughs> yeah, I've tried that ice cream, and I wouldn't say it's my favorite. So just respect for me is still at a, a normal. I hope you actually. Oh, or banana. You, oh. If, okay, if you like banana, yeah, okay, I definitely agree with that. Um, Ryan, you actually think people have respect for you in the first place, though. It's fine. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> um, really quick, back to just our show. Like, our worlds can be anything... F- <laughs> look at that. Our <laughs> worlds can be anything from, like, a and d style world to just something that would be for maybe a cartoon or a movie or just... It's any sort of idea. It's not necessarily specifically D&D. Yeah, I don't want to be, like... One time I talked about a computer uh, going through its life cycle to the point where it ascended to become, like, a weird space deity. I don't want to be pulling the curtain too far back, but I do know that Jordan was telling me about an episode they're working on where they're trying to write the script to Cars 5. No. No, no, no. No, 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 no. six, Ryan, come on. I just know that's a very near and dear thing to his heart. I don't think Cody knows how much I hate the movie Cars. (laughs) Wait, do you not like Cars 1? Cars 1 was fine. Okay. Are you being sarcastic? No. Well, I, I just I just want to say real quick, the thing that I love about World Shop with you guys in particular is I love the fact that you guys sit there and create this world every every episode that's different and unique to every something that you've done before. So it's an exercise and something 
that's new and creative every single time. Which I'm not good at. No, I'm terrible at it as well. So I, I, I really envy you guys for this. And it's always fun and it's entertaining. So that's what I, I what really drew us to you guys in the first place was the fact that you take all of these different just different worlds and themes and all these different things and you compass them into one and you make it entertaining and fun every single time. So that's why we wanted to have you guys on the podcast because you are way more creative than any of us are. Yeah, yeah we and did, we you just, guys uh, ruined pirates for me. So I feel like that's very true for Jordan and not very true for me that comes there with like a hastily scribbled like one sheet of paper <laughs> and is like, I'm ready. I got this. <laughs> so how about the Mansers? Oh Cody's. My God. <laughs> oh no! A real person knows about that. <laughs> Man dancers. Oh, uh, you know it's really easy to come up with garbage when no one questions you on it. <clears throat> Have you listened to Rumor Flies? Nice. <laughs> I mean, no, but dude, like, I, that... I liked Rumor oh, Flies God. because you guys ruined um, pirates for me, and also Lemmings. You ruined that for me too. Would you rather them commit uh, suicide? I was gonna say, what would you rather? All I right. mean, you know. <laughs> We'll talk about that later. But for the actual topic of today's episode, we are going to be discussing something that is almost breaking the rules for rumor flies, considering we're kind of going to be talking about a, I'm using heavy air quotes, a religion, but also how it pertains to one of World Shop's fortes. We are going to be talking about the connection between something called Satanic Panic and the hit game Dungeons and Dragons. What we are going to be doing for this episode is going over a brief history of the satanic panic as it was in the 80s and then afterwards we're going to talk about how it relates to dungeons and dragons and the part that it played during said panic lastly world shop is going to kind of take over for us and guide us through building a world of our own that we're all going to kind of try to throw our own two cents in on so uh without any further ado shall we jump into the topic yeah yep uh actually i should say beforehand as a little disclaimer in this episode, we are, I can't speak for World Shop, they may be the, uh, the most, the biggest Satanist possible, I don't know, but I didn't ask him. We are not advocating against or for Satanism or the other side in general. As a matter of fact, with the research that we're going to be presenting, I would dare to say that if you take a hard line on either side, you're not going to be either happy or completely satisfied with our opinions on all of it. Not even opinions. Can I just say that you say, you, you say by name, the Church of Satan and those other guys. I didn't say the Church of Satan. That's it's, a specific thing. It sounds like... Oh, sorry. You said Satanism... And the other side. <laughs> it sounds like Ryan's saying you're going to be like really agnostic to the whole thing. Well, it's interesting because... Oh, <laughs> oh boy. Ugh. Yeah, kill me. I know. Kill well, me. I say the I other side... I don't think this is a good idea, Cody. I don't blame you. <laughs> In many Western Abrahamic religions, there is an aspect of some sort of evil one or great other or adversary or otherwise known as Satan. So I don't want to just limit it to Christianity. Because Satan does exist, or some form of him, in other religions. So it's not specifically Christian, but we are mainly going to be talking about the Christian response to it. And I know Jordan has plenty to talk about in that respect. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, to start off with the Satanic Panic. This happened in the late 70s, early 80s, where pretty much every American Christian denomination lost their absolute shit and decided that their kids were being influenced by Satan or the devil through various means. And I want to get into it, but we're going to do a brief cursory history of it before we get into how it relates to D&D. Now, the way this all started was in 1972, a man named Mike Warnke, I think that's how you pronounce it, 
released a book called The Satan Seller, where Warnke described his experience in a satanic cult in the 60s before he converted to Christianity and started doing Christian comedy. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but he started doing it. Is that is that like uh, uh, Uncle Uncle Joey from Full House, where it's all clean? So you know yeah, when it's Jesus clean made all comedy, you can look up um, lots of Christian comedies like Bananas. <laughs> I am not joking. So you know, like when Jesus decided to multiply all the fish, you think one guy got like a shrimp instead, and he oh. kind of got the short end of the deal. Oy but vey. really, though, that exists. The wine turned out to be Boone's Farm. Yeah. So. Oh, God. Well, uh, heaven if has you infinite already, cloud space. If you weren't already guessing this, <laughs> that's a good one. Mike Warnke was exposed as a fraud in 1992 by Cornerstone Magazine long after any of the damage that I'm about to talk about was done. However, after he released this book, several other Christian converts released similar memoirs shortly after Warnke, but were exposed much, 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 much sooner than Warnke, as in like a year or two or even in the upcoming months after their books were published. Oh, okay. And yeah. most of the time it, it involved just a simple like PI in the seventies, just going up to friends and family or a high school associate and saying, Hey, what was this person doing during this time? And they say, Oh, well here's a yearbook. You can just like page through it. And then turns out that Mike Warnke didn't have the long hair and long nails that he said he did. And he probably wasn't having as much fun as he said he was having at the time. He didn't own that many Slayer t-shirts. Yes. So, uh, during this time, though, several other factors played into this panic rising. After these books came out, a lot of traction began, whether it be through pastors, evangelicals, and there's a few names that we can mention that played a part in this. Joel um, Osteen. N- no, he's a little bit later on. but I still blame him. Pat Robinson. We can talk about... <laughs> Actually, that's who I first thought of. <laughs> we can talk about that uh, very dubious person. I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll say it. <laughs> Don't die on that hill? Yeah, I'll, I will. That's, you know what? Ryan, would you say that's your cross to bear? I'm going to keep them coming all night, people. Uh, I will buckle put, up. Buckle up. All I right? will put... Also, we're not trying to be too irreverent, but at the same time, I do not respect Pat Robinson for the panic that he causes in a lot... Uh, for the unnecessary reasons. I don't respect Pat Robinson for anything. Okay, then we'll go with that. Okay. So, uh, during this time, several of the factors played in the panic rising. Mainly, Anton LaVey's Church of Satan became more prominent in the media. And the golden age of serial killers was also in full swing yep. during the late 70s and early 80s. And there was an immediate tack on to the reason why more people are dying is because there's more Satanists going around killing people willy nilly. Mm. Yeah. We're not going to get into that. But the <laughs> main like linchpin that actually started this panic as many people like to accept it, was a 1980 book that was uh, published by a man named Lawrence Padzer called Michelle Remembers. And in this book, uh, a woman named uh, Lawrence Padzer was a a psychiatrist, really, that uh, decided to publish the recounting of a woman named Michelle Smith who decided to open up about her years of something called SRA or satanic ritual abuse that was done to her uh, during her early years via something called recovered memory, which I will point out is an extremely flawed and not academically or scientifically accepted method of giving somebody therapy. While it's not scientifically accepted, it is Scientologically accepted. Scientologically accepted. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, can't say that word. I don't like those people. So this was thoroughly debunked. Uh, Michelle decided to list a whole bunch of different things. Like she saw a bunch of people get killed. She was in a giant ritual that lasted 81 days in some random cemetery. Guess that what? None of this happened. 
Yeah, it, guess what? It sounds exhausting. <laughs> uh, you think that people would have seen this happening in a cemetery for 81 days, like somebody would have moved past it or that, something. You that's know. what I was going to say. Like, I know it might have been in the middle of nowhere, but at some point, somebody's got to drive by at some point and see something. Yeah. So uh, after all this, uh, several religious sects across the nation were swept with fear of children participating in satanic rituals or being at least coerced into it because Michelle really said that she was forced into this and it just messed her up for a very long time. And she went from kind of unwillingly to willingly participating in these and somehow she just forgot all about it for a little bit. And then all of a sudden she remembers. And also it turns out that they both divorced their significant others and married each other after the publication of this book. Not dubious whatsoever. Nope. No. Yeah. Yeah. So coincidence, you decide. I, I mean, nothing turns me on more than just knowing that my patient happened to have participated in Killing a child and then placing in a car and then faking a car wreck, you know, that's all, you know, nothing to, you know, really get me into a relationship. Yeah. So after this, the accusations started to snowball and they swept across the nation and there were actually very real legal consequences for some people involved in these accusations. This is very very legal and very cool. Very legal, very cool and very akin to the Salem witch trials. Uh, I have a recurring thing that I want to talk about when we move on to the second portion of this show, kind of recapping why I think this is all important, how this factors in. It's kind of a cycle. But some notable instances of the satanic panic going in full force and having real-life consequences were uh, the Kern County child abuse case that saw at least 26 people convicted from daycares after coercion of the child witnesses into falsifying testimony. And these people, whether they were child, uh, like, you know, daycare workers or parents or relatives or just random people on the street being involved with this, they got convicted. And uh, for- fortunately, almost all of them were overturned. But people went to jail for this stuff over people going into a uh, room and saying, hey, um, you were abused right you were forced to watch you kill somebody you were sexually abused all these things and, and it's like no i wasn't are you sure though yeah it's are those leading positive? questions that kind of bring yeah. out the, the answer that the people are looking for that is a great term that for this it this person may have absolutely taken you in and done these things <laughs> the problem is they also had situations where since they were children they didn't exactly follow protocol with these investigations where the investigator would be in a room with the child and then a parent or two would be in the room with them and kind of guiding the answers to what they wanted it to be. Mm-hmm. And also, um, from what I know, a lot of the times the kid really didn't know what was going on. Yeah. So they I mean, just, just like, answered the questions because they thought that they were giving the answer that their parents or whatever investigator wanted them to give. They just wanted to go home. That's yeah. and I mean, I'm, I no, say. I'm jumping ahead quite a bit, but that's pretty much what happened with the West Memphis Three case. Uh, yes, yeah. I am about to get to them too. Oh, yep. Another trial very similar to this was the McMartin Preschool case, which was an extremely similar situation to the uh, Kern County child abuse case, where there was one mentally ill mother that had also a mentally ill child um, that they both happened to be very religious and decided that. The daycare workers were uh, sexually abusing the children. I'm not going to get into any detail of any sort, but there was a very, very long uh, trial going on for this that eventually sizzled out into nothing because there was no hard evidence that was eventually produced. It was all the child witnesses, which, you know, let's just say this. 
children can be fucking liars. I mean, that's the situation. And also, when they're forced into lying... Especially if their parents are motivating them to lie. Exactly. To get an end to a means that isn't even that reasonable. And also to say this, I'm not trying to demonize any sort of parents here. With a panic like this going on, there are a whole lot of factors that can lead people to do ir- like very irrational and unreasonable things. And there is a sympathy view that you can go into for the parents to really look out for the safety of their child. I don't think any of them were trying to get famous or anything like this. They were trying to initially protect their child. But um, uh, we'll we'll jump into these factors later. Greg, you you were trying to say something? You see this stuff in psychology. Yeah, I was like, you see this in psychology all the time. Um, Not just with people accusing people of stuff, um, but also people who admit guilt to things they haven't done. And there's there's this whole motivation of... Let's take it from the perspective of the person admitting guilt. They they eventually turn, well, I didn't do this, but I did something bad, and I might as well pay for it via this. Like, that's actually a very common thing. And so a lot of people, it, it's never, you know, it was nothing and then something. It's like, oh, well, maybe something did happen. Oh, well, maybe not exactly as described, but, you know, similar. And, and you just snowballs and snowballs into eventually the details don't matter. Someone did something wrong. And this is how they pay for it, whether it's me or them. It's a, it's a very common psychological phenomenon, actually. It's a way of deflecting guilt of some sort. It's actually sort. Um, uh, crime and punishment is basically built on yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, the most famous case, as Jordan said, is the West Memphis Three. Oops, uh, sorry to spoil death... that one. <laughs> uh, well, I think some people... It's a little uh, whistle wetter. Yeah. So... <laughs> Uh, where nice. the death of three school children led to a life imprisonment for two and the death sentence for one of three teenagers believed to be participating in satanic rituals. And this is one of the most textbook cases of miscarriage of justice. Actually, not one of the most text mes- uh, textbook because they were all partially exonerated. But th- there are plenty of people that were on death row that were innocent and got killed. But in this situation... In the moment up to in the indictment and conviction. This is when the panic was in full force and they found a very gripping case where three kids were killed in a very methodical and almost ritualistic way. And they decide to blame two people that had associations with each other and one that kind of just got roped into it. And why? Well, it's because they wore black clothing, generally weren't that liked by a whole lot of the rest of their high school, and also they listened to bands like Cheap Trick. And maybe Black Sabbath. Cheap trick is uh, satanic? <laughs> I think that's the most Satan-y band I can imagine, though, is definitely Cheap Almost Trick. Simple. You know what I mean? <laughs> look at how evil well, they look. It, all that bright checkerboard pattern, yeah, super and, evil. And the idea is that man. all these children were supposedly swayed into Satanism by coercion through things like the by the tagline of many Christians at this time was violent movies. That's not a surprise. Yep. Comic books were okay at this point. Like, the the whole comic book band. Yeah, they finally got over comic books. Uh, Violent television, which at that point was still pretty heavily regulated. Like, movies you could get away with a lot. Television, not so much. I can't even think of an extremely violent television show at that time. They could have really pinned that on. Just wait 30 years and you get violent video games. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yes. Uh, And then also a variety of music. Like, if you played a Black Sabbath vinyl backwards... On a record player, you would hear subliminal messages, and it would tell you to either kill your parents, kill your dog, kill yourself, mm-hmm. kill your neighbor, kill your mailman. Just kill everybody. Just kill someone. Yeah. Just do it. As you long don't as care someone, who. kill them. Ozzy wants you to bite the head off of many bats, and then the mailman. So uh, there were just there was any excuse you could think of. 
And we're about to get into the particular one that is Dungeons and Dragons. However, before doing this, I would like to give Satanism its fair shake and actually explain and dispel some rumors about Satanism because that's what, well, one of these shows is about. (laughs) Um, So Satanism is not necessarily or even primarily devil worship. There is a distinct difference between these two terms, Satanism and devil worship. Lumping all Satanistic groups into one set of beliefs is actually harder than putting all Abrahamic religions, that being Islam, Judaism, Christianity, and all the other offshoots, into a defined set of beliefs. It's really hard to find the one common thread other than a monotheistic god. So, um, there are three different types of Satanism, and I'm going to go from my eyes from worst to best. And there is reactive, theistic, and rationalistic Satanism. And I think some of these are self-defined, to be honest. So reactive Satanism is the one that most people would like to see as the one most in the mainstream thought, where it's a rebellious rejection of Christianity and modern cultural norms, where it's a lot of the teenage phases of so you just want to be hipster. counterculture. Uh, yeah. Is the hot topic variety of kid considered a hipster at this point? This isn't like you like PBR and, and buy stash wax every week. This is... You, I feel personally attacked. <laughs> this is pre that. This is more of like wearing the chains and Jenkos. If we're going to go ahead and stereotype some people, it's just it, not even anybody. Everybody I mean, did Jenkos that. Jenkos were really made just, by the devil. Ryan's yeah. perspectives are not reflective of the larger rumor flies, more progressive and open-minded mentality. Yes, <laughs> we'll Ryan's a bigot. Whatever, <laughs> I'll take the bullet. <laughs> Uh, so in this case, it was it's a lot of the kids that are just like in high school and say, you know what? I don't like my parents. You know what? I'm going to do everything I can to be to not be my parents. So they decide to go to the opposite end of the spectrum. Instead of being Christian, they decide that Satan's their new master. Uh, this is a little bit of an exaggeration. Reactive Satanism is not a one size fits all because it's any sort of counterculture that usually people end up having kind of as a face and wow i'm thinking of the people that i'm going to be pissing off if they catch wind of me saying something like this uh particular case considered to be reactive satanism in the extreme form are two sets of murders in california in 1970 one in big sur and i want to say one in los angeles uh carried out by two separate groups of teenagers that decided that hey satan's our master let's kill some people not much unlike the uh slender man stabbings that happened yes. very recently so if it's still happening today just different uh, motivations, but same result. Uh, it's sad, but these are the extreme cases. So I'm not saying that Satanism, quote unquote, has not led to real life suffering on a innocent victim side, because if we're going to go by the harsh definition of this, yes, these people said they were worshiping Satan, even if it was just a fad and they ended up killing someone. But the most famous Satanist of all in the reactive Satanism group is none other than the Night Stalker, not the original one, Richard Ramirez, who was admittedly extremely crazy. There's plenty of podcasts about him. I mean, so are are you making a case that reactive Satanism isn't bad? (laughs) No, I'm not. I'm defining it. (laughs) Okay. Just like the way you're saying Most of the time, some people. And then Richard Ramirez is like, he's a character. 
what I'm saying is that reactive Satanism is mostly considered to be not organized in any sort of way. It's mostly an individual or very small group-based thing where people decide to start worshiping Satan. And sometimes it doesn't lead to anything. It could just be somebody going into their, you know, 70s just saying, yeah, I worship Satan, whatever, just because I didn't like my parents. Usually it's more of a phase thing through the teenage years. However, you can have people like Richard Ramirez that go on a killing spree and then carve or paint a pentagram on their hand during a, you know, court case. Their own court case, to be specific. (laughs) Um, So moving on from reactive Satanism, we are going to talk about theistic Satanism. So theistic Satanists actually acknowledge some form of Satan as an actual deity, most of the time to be revered rather than worshipped. There is a difference. Uh, Satan generally represents knowledge, enlightenment, or natural order. So it's more of as opposed to, it it really stems from like the idea of the Garden of Eden, where the serpent gave uh, the key to knowledge to Adam and Eve. That's kind of where people revere Satan, is like he is the bringer of knowledge and enlightenment. However, there are also a couple of different outliers in this situation too. But the most notable and accepted theistic uh, Satanist uh, organization is the Temple of Set, which uh, I think was formed by a man named Michael Aquino, who was in the military for a while. He was a general or an admiral, I want to say. And uh, so the idea of the Temple of Set is the name Satan is a bastardization of Set, which is an old Egyptian god. So they think that Set is an actual god. It's not exactly required to accept him as a real thing, but that's what their tagline is generally for the religion. And this church, while acknowledging Set as a deity, is more focused on self-actualization and the pursuit of one's own godhood. It's more self-focused. It's a self-help cult, which there could be worse things out there, you know? Now, for the outliers everybody wants to hear about, the most notable theistic cult is the Order of the Nine Angles, who encourage human sacrifice but have not openly admitted to it. And instead, they carry out their rituals by joining police forces and militaries to do their rituals of killing. However, they denounce animal sacrifice. Now, that's, that's good. There's a lot of controversy around this order. Wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that their their standard like line here is human sacrifice okay, but if you sacrifice a puppy, that's not Let okay? Let me clarify something for you. <laughs> It's because the animals are not seen as a good enough sacrifice. Oh, my Lord. Um, <laughs> so if you sacrifice but, a lot of puppies, but, then it's all right. Or throw a bunch like of lemmings off like a cliff. Oh, my puppies, gosh. It then... was a satanistic ritual. We figured yeah, it Disney out here at River Flies. Walt Disney is part of the Church of Satan. Confirmed. confirmed. No, we're get... okay, stop saying Church of Satan. Greg, I'm going to slap <laughs> you if you keep saying that. Oh, that was too easy. That was too easy. So, uh... The Order of the Nine Angles is actually, in all my reading, pretty much a front for a neo-Nazi, like, uh, extremely fascist white supremacist group. Like, that's what they are. And they think the actual leader is a man who is, get this, not only a neo-Nazi, but also an Islamic extremist. What? How does that work? Yeah, I, 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 I don't want to go into it. the words out of my mouth, Josh. <laughs> I, I, I don't want to go into it, but somehow he's consolidated those two things into one. Makes sense. <laughs> hey, man. Good on him. God bless. Uh, so, like, Gavin McGinnis praying to Mecca? <sighs> this is worse than Gavin McGinnis, uh, if, if you can wow. believe that. So, oh, wow. I'm very curious now. So, the other one is the Misanthropic Luciferian Order, which is later rebranded as the Temple of the Black Light. This is tied to a murder in Sweden and was perpetrated by, here comes a Swedish name, 
John Novet, I don't know how to say it, of the Swedish black metal band Dissection. Now, this cult had very few followers and it still exists in some capacity. I found their Facebook group, pretty much. Um, but they did encourage animal and human sacrifice. Now, I really think this was just during the whole black metal, uh, like, you know, extreme burning churches yeah. phase. Uh. And they just took it one step further. And this guy eventually committed suicide in, I think, like 2006. Jeez. But they're a very niche cult. It, I wouldn't even consider them to be on the radar for the most part, aside from this murder. Now... The thing to clarify about these two theistic outliers that I said, because Temple of Set, they haven't really done anything wrong. They're not on the record for having gone down for any criminal activity, to my knowledge. However, Michael Aquino does have a little bit of uh, controversy behind him. A lot of bit. Whatever. So, <laughs> both these cults, the, uh, the Order of the Nine Angles and the Misanthropic Luciferian Order, are both rooted in pre-Christian pagan theologies and uh, religions most notably one of them is from old uh uk pagan religions the uh nine angles one and same thing for the misanthropic luciferian order they're from scandinavian folklore essentially like they have roots not necessarily in satan but they they use lucifer as an all-encompassing representation of their old gods for a lack of better words now wrapping this up a little bit we are going to have the third category, which is by far the most recognized and the most common form of Satanism, and that is the rational Satanism. And this is a specifically atheistic version of Satanism. They do not believe in an actual devil or God. Rational Satanism is, an, uh, rational Satanism is, an, is like all about the realization of the self using symbology and other religions as kind of Did you a, just say symbology? Yes. Yeah. Why? What was I supposed to say? Symbolism. <laughs> Symbizla- symbolism. Fuck you, Greg. Yeah, I felt like that's it was. I felt like it was too soon for me to point it out. Joke in the boondocks. But no, screw yourself. I know, right? But I, I didn't feel like I could say anything. Go screw yourself. Symbology is the study of symbolism. Okay, of symbols. The ology okay, is a okay. study. Okay. All right. Oh wait, 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 wait. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. As I was I saying, I, just, I think I just got. I actually think I just got. Oof! I got that flipped on me real quick. So, anyway, it's mainly about symbolism or symbology, whatever you want to call it, in order to help bring out one's power of their will. It's another self-actualization thing. It's not that they, it's kind of this weird thing where they don't believe in a certain set of gods, but they also believe in the power of magic, which is just like bringing your own will into the world and making it realized by something called magic with a CK. I'm not going to get into magic practices, but just know that is the thing that is made into a ritual that they do to de- to separate themselves from all other types of Satanism. It's like one of those, if you believe it, it will come true kind of things. Like yes, the secret. it's like the, se- in a very, in the a, secret. Yes, exactly. in a very boiled down sense. It's a secret, but more fun and less boring. So we're going to get into the main organizations, the two top ones. One of them is the Church of Satan, which was founded in... Thank you, Greg. You can say the Church of Satan now in this context. It was, <laughs> it was founded by Anton LaVey in the 1960s, who was a kind of weird calliope player that just decided that um, nobody in his congregation at church was really living out their actual selves because he saw them at parties being totally not the pious person they were. So he really didn't like this idea of like this hypocrisy in the religion he saw around him commonly. It's purely atheistic as an, inf- as an adversarial view to the proclaimed hypocrisy of Abrahamic organization and religion. 
Although it is more of an aggregate of already present philosophies, such as those of Anne Rand and Ragnar Redbeard. Great name. It is a pretty great name. It's a great name. He wrote something called Might is Right in the 1800s. Um, and also, LeVay has been criticized for plagiarism uh, Ooh, when he wrote the Satanic Bible. Uh, yeah. Uh, the ritual was added to make a more cohesive organization. Uh, they have a structured membership in, in hierarchy with the largest media presence and membership numbers, pretty much. They never give out their numbers because they don't want to look too little to not be a threat or too big to actually be threatening. They kind of like to stay in this ambiguous like status. They just want people to know they're there. Uh, they explicitly practice self-improvement and enlightenment, and they condemn any sort of criminal activity. As a matter of fact, two of the extremely edgy 11 satanic rules that almost every podcast that has covered satanism which i'm not gonna actually go through all the rules two of these rules specifically of the satanic rules are do not harm little children and do not kill non-human animals unless you are attacked i can explain you know what the other rules can explain to you why adult humans are not listed in there but it's it, they also say don't commit crimes pretty much they are anti-violence on the whole and yeah that was a weird rule that they slipped in there about not hurting non-human animals like well humans are animals if we're going by the taxonomic you know specificity of it but uh this was written in 19 could you just say don't hurt people? Uh, this was written in 1967 which is important because a lot of the times the church of satan has been used as a scapegoat for this saying they can own violence this was written before the panic even started now, the last group is they sat the Satanic Temple, which in my views is my favorite. And really... <laughs> oh, They're your favorite, I'll explain Satan. why. The Satanic Temple was more of a political activist group that was founded in as early as 2013. Wow. So it's not That's that old. Recent. Relatively young. Uh, they have a focus on of a heavy focus on lobbying for the complete separation of church and state in the U.S. I would more consider them a lobbying group than a religion. They're just using that as a front, probably to get the tax exempt status, probably to play out the whole church and state separation hypocrisy thing. Now, when we, we, I do want to say when I first started thinking about all this and we started talking this out. This was the first thing that popped into my head is this next event that you're getting ready to talk about. Yes, they are most notably known for having a statue of the Ten Commandments removed from the Oklahoma State Capitol by means of, att of attempting to place a <laughs> statue of Baphomet next to it, an eight-foot statue with two smiling kids next oh to it. My God. If you don't know what the Baphomet is, it's like the human body, wings, and a goat head. Um, so it, the Baphomet didn't end up there. It ended up in Detroit, but they ended up taking out the Ten Commandments, and then they withdrew their bid to have the statue placed next to the Ten Commandments. Something they're also notable for doing is they held a quote-unquote pink mass over the grave of the mother of Fred Phelps, who was the founder of the Westboro Baptist <laughs> Church. I'm sure most people know who they are. Boo. So this was, done in, yeah, this was done in response to the Westboro Baptist Church picketing the funerals of the Boston Marathon bombing victims. And what was the intention of this pink mass, which involved uh, two men kissing over it and a couple of other fun celebrations like uh, drag shows? They, Can I guess? The, Can I guess? Okay. They they wanted to create the ultimate Olympic swimmer. <laughs> no, it was not to create that one. Oh my god! De yeah, deep cut, this guy. Even better, their intention that they stated to the Westboro Baptist Church was to convert Fred Phelps's deceased mother into a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So as you can see, these are more along the trolling line. So the Satanic Temple. I was gonna say they are just straight up Satanic trolls. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. what this is. <laughs> yeah. And it shows it's atheistic. However, they do have tenets of the Satanic Temple, which I am gonna read out in full before we jump into the D and D. 
And this is just to kind of highlight that not all Satanism is just doom and gloom. We want to kill you. Now, I do want to say this, too. I'm sorry to keep jumping in. I talked about this with my wife, and I was like, I want you to read these because what you think this is is nothing of as to what it actually is because of the, the stigmatism that it has or the connotation. That's the word I'm looking for. That's a good one. And when she read them, she was pleasantly surprised as to what actually what she read. I, I don't want to spoil it, but so uh, one should strive to act with a compassion and empathy towards all creatures. According to the reason, the struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit and should prevail over all laws and institutions. One body is invi- inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. Ooh, uh, that can cause some hotbed topics right there. The freedom of the of other... Ben Shapiro's listening. The, free, <laughs> the freedom of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach on the freedoms of another <laughs> is to forego one's own. Okay, that's more of the free speech alt-right Twitter I, I was gonna uh, say, platform I, right there. I don't think AOC would be saying that one. Uh, we don't know. We're not going to get into that. <laughs> Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care to dis- to never distort the scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. Greg. <laughs> yes, Greg. Uh, Listen here. <laughs> last two. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that might have been caused. I think they should add dot, 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 do a penalty shot. There we go. <laughs> uh, lastly... <laughs> Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility in action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. So it's just like, you know, follow what you, what you think is heart, right in the, in the heart of your hearts. Don't let your dreams be dreams. Yes. Do just it. Do it. <laughs> so now that I've had my long-winded talk, Let's go ahead and jump into how it relates to that one piece of media that I missed in the Satanic Panic, Dungeons and Dragons. And I passed the baton, or I rather passed the... 20-sided die? I I passed the D20 over... He passes the uh, rumor flag gun that... Oh, yes. I've always wanted to hold the gun. (laughs) Okay, so here's the gun. It is a semi-automatic. It is not a revolver. revolver. So, uh, no, the first bullet will kill you. So don't... (laughs) This is not it's Russian actually roulette. an assault weapon with an extended magazine. I'm trying to think of all the controversial guns. And a bump stock. Bump stock. So. You're looking for the word bump stock. Yeah, yeah. And a bump stock. Yeah. Uh, uh, so tracer rounds. I, I do want to just point out the irony of the fact that we're doing a satanic panic episode and the words, I've always wanted to hold the gun, were muttered on, the, on this episode as well. I just want to point that out before we've we move on. I've always wanted to hold the gun. Yeah, okay. Um, okay. Jordan so Cody, I'm, please take over. All right, so I'm just going to go through, like, a brief timeline of the, like, D&D and the Satanic Panic stopping every now and then for discussion. But first thing I want to say, I am sorry, Mother. I will be going to church on Sunday. Anyways. <laughs> Jordan, that can't save you at this point. Yeah, Jordan's just mother, like, Satanism. Uh, like, oh, Jordan's mother, hi, I'm Ryan. listening to this, please. I, I think we've got off on a bad foot. I really am a good person. I am not influencing Jordan in any way, shape, or form. I promise he's a good boy. Just tell us more about your favorite type of Satan. It's yeah, fine. Yes, please. Let's talk more about your favorite Satanism. <laughs> okay, so yeah. Um, D&D and sa- the whole Satanic Panic, they kind of have a decently long history. So we're going to go back to the 70s, where D&D was released by... Um, in 1974, it was created by Gary Gygax and um, Dave Arneson. Nerds. Um, so, first, <laughs> exactly. Fair. 
So, um, it gained popularity against um, board gamers and nerds alike. Um, I tried to find some information out about um, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson's like religious beliefs. I could not find what they believed um, anywhere. I mean, obviously it's, Satan, right? Like, yeah, Satan. but what I did find is that they were um, actually religious leaning um, towards Christianity is the only things I found, but I, that's not fact. So I cannot say whether or not they were Christians or not. But Gygax they, was a Jehovah's Witness at one point. I think he kind okay. of like flowed through a, cu- a couple of different Christian denominations. Yeah, so from what I could find, he wasn't a Satanist. So going into this, know that they were not Satanists, but yet blamed for their game being Satanic. Anyways, the Satanic Panic really kicks off in 1979 when James Dallas Egbert III, a child prodigy attending Michigan State University at age 16, disappeared. And then a year later, in 1980, he killed himself. Which, yeah. Bummer. Go green. <laughs> way, way to break it down. But yeah, so, um, so during his disappearance, um, reportedly the family hired a private investigator, William Deere, who did research and saw that um, Egbert III played Dungeons and Dragons. He told the family that this was the root cause of the disappearance, regardless of any alleged mental issues and or drug abuse. So um, after... Like Cody has a little bit more information on this. Yeah, one. I was, I was, I was gonna hop in there. Yeah, so yeah. this is kind of, and this is, I, I did not realize this. This to me is kind of the most like gross part about this. So, like Jordan said, that was 1979, right? When yeah. he went missing, and that was a year prior to him taking his own life, right? Yeah. So, 1981, which is shockingly close to that time. Rona Jaffe made the book or wrote the book Mazes and Monsters that was kind of a fictitious retelling of this story that kind of took to the extreme this notion that, um, you know, Dungeon- him playing Dungeons and Dragons was kind of the catalyst for him eventually taking his own life, which I mean was a year previously, Yeah, well, this which was when I right looked after. at all the dates... Yeah, I was- did, yeah, I did not realize how yeah. close together all this stuff was. It, it was goes- like within two years. It goes with the narrative that like he went crazy and went down into the steam tunnels at Michigan State and was just there going crazy because he was seeing visions of monsters. That became so, an urban yeah, that was, an legend. That was like a lot of people saying different versions of stories like he killed himself in the tunnels or he used to play yes. D&D in the tunnels or a whole group of people went out there and he didn't come back because he, it was a giant disambiguation of what the actual story was. Yes, exactly. So Right, he, and actually... Sorry, there was actually something kind of interesting there that I found out. So that was that book was written in 1981, right? And then the horrible yeah. Tom Hanks movie was made in 1982. It's kind of like I did not realize that it was two years later after you know this tragic event that Tom Hanks was hacking it up in that role as like the worst portrayal of schizophrenia ever in a movie where it's just kind of blamed on Dungeons and Dragons, and that's kind of shown as the root cause. Yes. But what I found out that's interesting is that two years after that movie was released, 1984, the private investigator, William Deere, actually released a book called Dungeon Master about what he actually found during that investigation. So in 1979, when Egbert went missing, eventually that private investigator did find him, and... Egbert told him why he was in those tunnels, which was his plan was to take his own life. Before that, 
that private investigator, William Deere, told the media, oh, I think it's because he's, uh, he's LARPing in the steam tunnels, and they just took it as fact. But he promised Egbert that he wouldn't tell everyone why he went down into those tunnels. Because yeah. he was, like, embarrassed, you know, he didn't want it to get out that he had gone down there to take his own life. So this private investigator kind of kept his word and didn't tell everyone about it until years later. But what that's why it kind of got as much traction. Well, it's it's kind of both, right? It's like a catch-22 because this kid asked him not to tell everybody. He's like, I don't want everyone to know that I went down there to kill myself. I would rather them think I went down there to play Dungeons & Dragons. So, uh, yes. so he kind of... Mr. P.I., did you find out any information? Yep. What was it? Can't tell you. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, he, he probably told the family, but yeah, I mean, he kind of misstepped when he told the media. He's like, oh, I, th- I think it's LARPing. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's LARPing. And then he couldn't recant because recanting would be, you know, breaking his word to this kid. But I thought that was interesting, though, that eventually he went back and he's like, yeah, no, all of that was total garbage. That None of that was true. <laughs> yeah. And so that was skipping ahead a little bit because that's really the kickoff Sorry, of Jordan. the whole thing. Oh, no, it's fine. That's a good portion of the story. That's really the kickoff because then back in 1982, another suicide occurred where um, Irving Lee bank pulling, he committed suicide and it was also found that he played D and D. So about like the whole thing kind of exploded with the media is like, Oh, another suicide because of this game of Dungeons and Dragons. We need to guard our children. And in 1983, his mother, um, Patricia A. Pulling started the group called Bothered Against Dungeons and Dragons, or BADD, Bad, which she could not name Mothers Against Dungeons and Dragons because Mothers <laughs> Against Drunk Driving, Mad, was already a thing. Oh, they wanted to do And that's mother- actually a true thing. Like, it was already in mainstream, so they did not name it Mad. It was uh, Mothers Against Drunk Dragons. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> mothers Against Drunk Dragons. <laughs> I mean, I would be against those drunk dragons, too. And so, okay, so here's, I've got a really good quote coming up that I really enjoy, but um, Bad advocated that Dungeons and Dragons encouraged devil worship and suicide. Bad described Dungeons and Dragons as, and I quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, Gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. I have a very important question. Is that list in any particular order? <laughs> no. Okay. But, it's, but yeah, so they went the out and order said that, that I've D&D added those things into my D&D games, probably. What do you oh, say, oh, Greg? No, I was a really. I said it's the order in which I've added those things into my D and D games. I was gonna nice. say that list is actually pretty close. Yeah, Greg, were you gauging I mean, like how offended you were by the homosexuality <laughs> comment on there by where they put I it was on the more list? Going with order of importance or order of severity, and it, it just wasn't working. And I, I just, I was trying <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah, it felt a little random. I, well, I noticed that being like gay it. is worse like than they cannibalism. They just took everything that was bad and decided to blame it all on Dungeons and Dragons. Like it teaches every evil thing. I think the interesting thing is that gambling falls right in the middle. It teaches white-collar crime. It teaches fraud. Well, well, what I'm (laughs) Acts of Asian. Talking during movies. Well, why does gambling fall right in the middle? Like, why is that the litmus test of how bad things are? (laughs) You hear that your uh, daily fantasy is really leading you to the dark side. up. God, Ryan. Josh, you begged for that one. (laughs) I, I, I know. I can't really say anything. 
That's the one you were concerned about and you took offense to. <laughs> oh, they're going after my gambling. Greg, did you vote to make sports gambling legal in Louisiana? Yeah, I did for you. My man. That's all I care about. Don't care who you voted for. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. Sorry, Jordan. <laughs> no, it's all good. But yeah, so they like went with the narrative that Dungeons and Dragons taught all these terrible things to children's. So children's. Huh. The, the children's. All of them. All of the children's. <laughs> Anyways, Bad achieved success in airing its views in the press, both through conservative media properties and mainstream outlets. In nineteen eighty five, the TV program, which everybody should know, sixty minutes, covered Dungeons and Dragons, which featured both Patricia Pulling and Gary Gygax. So this is where I'm going to take a pause really quick. I meant to take a pause earlier. But anyways, so 60 Minutes covered this whole thing. And I watched through the whole 60 Minutes interview. And they tried their hardest to be quote-unquote um, unbiased. But you could tell that they're leaning with the narrative that Dungeons & Dragons is this unknown and almost evil property that can turn a kid bad. They like emphasize the killing in like, that you can do in Dungeons & Dragons and they like pick the like weirdest nerd that they could possibly find to do an interview with. Yeah, you know, and that's actually one of those interesting things where like I think it's fair to understand that I can I can kind of get why there was such a panic around those books. Because especially the early book and like what was out at the time, it looked real satany on the front. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, like you can look I'll I mean, you guys do show notes and stuff, but I'll post like the original picture of Dungeon and Dragons. No one it reads does them. look very You mean just the original giant Satan on the front, just like the giant chubby yeah, the Satan giant on the chubby front of the book? demon on the front. It does look like something that would be at that time evil. Now we all look at it, it kind of looks like a joke. It kind of looks hokey. But Please call him Portly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but now it looks like a Send huggable me the Satan, image. I'll I make it the uh, I'll make it the show image. Uh, a lot of the podcast players uh, allow me to do custom images. So send me if y'all could send me that. That'd be yeah, great. I will definitely send that to you. But um, and then like another thing, I kind of want to go back. I went way further than I wanted to, but want to go back and like kind of how I thought this whole thing got as extreme and as big as I thought it. Well, as it did, is just like it's circled around these two suicides and one of the things that kind of i believe that pushed patricia pulling into making the bothered against dungeon and dragon and getting so many people under her wing was just that in like death especially with a suicide you go through the grieving process and part of the grieving process is to blame and looking for something or someone to blame that's so a I believe really good point she went oh, out yeah. her, like saw that dungeons and dragons was like connected to both the Egbert death and her own son and solves like, okay, this has to be something because it couldn't be my own son. Like my son would like, you also just don't think that it's you. It's like, it couldn't be me. It's like, my son was happy. I remember him being good. It had to be something else. So I believe that part of it started because of this whole grieving process and blame. And it just was taken way out of hand. If I may interject for a second, I was going to like kind of do this and like kind of how do we make any sense of this? But I think you said it pretty well. I think to add on to that a little bit, it's a sense of just with like um, most Western religions have this sense of dualism where there always has to be the good and the evil. There is not in there's an there's no other like there's always an other somewhere. And it really 
kind of bleeds out into people's ideologies where there has to be a reason for something. If it's not them, they have to find out what that source of evil is. And there has to be some source of embodiment of this evil to fight. And whether it be witches, whether it be, you know, comic books, whether it be Dungeons and Dragons in this uh, situation, or just any other thing that might be considered new and not thoroughly evaluated and given the stamp of approval by modern society, that can be used to be made into the great other or the evil that needs to be fought. So it, this, the thing is, whenever these phases go out, there always needs to be a new evil to be fought in some embodiment. And I um, don't mean to get too metaphysical about it, but I really think that's like a big factor in all of this is why this keeps happening, whether it be Marilyn Manson or it be Detective Comics number 36, you know? Yeah. To a point, like, there is, when there is a light, there is always a darkness, and people want to blame that darkness. And in the early 70s... Dualism. Yeah. In the early 70s and 80s, like, Dungeons & Dragons was still very new. Not many people really knew what it was. All they saw was this demonic picture on the front, so it was very easy to say, it's like, this is the darkness. Well, yeah, and I was actually going to bring up kind of like my second media thing, is uh, a chick track, which uh, if, like, you guys are familiar, it's those, like, little short comic books that were usually, like, some, like, Christian message, right? And so they've been made for forever, but in 1984, the one about Dungeons & Dragons came out called Darkest Dungeon, and it totally is just, like, uh, that's the new evil thing, and we're just going to slap all of the, like, standard evil stuff on top of it. Like, when you play Dungeons & Dragons, they're all drinking, they're doing drugs... It's an orgy, and it's just like everything gets piled on top of it, and it's just like, that's not even close, but it's just the, the standard, like, well, this is the bad stuff, so we're just going to stack it up on D&D. I was going to say, Darkest Dungeon is also a hard-as-shit indie game. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. I forgot about that. <laughs> no, it's just the chick tracks were very clearly not researched that well because, A, uh, they really implied that you can win Dungeons & Dragons. You can end a campaign. <laughs> yes, but- yes, they did. <laughs> And then also, I win every time I play. And also, I mean, you lose all credibility. I'm sure Jordan's going to talk about this, but some of the people have their testimonies about Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, their, yeah. Their story doesn't match up with the average D&D player in 1980s era looked, acted, or, or socialized like. Yeah. You mean to tell me you've never had D and D orgies? It's basement like, dwelling that's like nerds, the whole not thing. party. Like you don't play Dungeons and Dragons and just instantly <laughs> become the coolest guy around. Well, sometimes I play with my friends, and at the end, I have a headache, and I'm just not in the mood. Oh, it's the barbarians and banging, uh, you know, uh, expansion or the ogres and orgies expansions. You got to buy them separately. <laughs> ogres and orgies, yes. We call that the Shrek mode. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I was also going to say, to be fair, like, all, all credit, like, against role-playing games, there are some pretty, like, trashy, disgusting role-playing games that are as bad as what everyone says they are. It's just not D&D. That's just the wrong one. D&D is pretty yeah, classy. D&D's the flagship. Uh, um, well, I'll get yeah. to some of the videos and things that I watch, but I just want to finish out the timeline really quick. And so, night. <laughs> Sorry to cut that off. Um, but 1987, two pastors, Peter Lightheart and George Grant, published the book, quote, The Catchism of New Age, A Response to Dungeons and Dragons, which you can read online. And another thing I'll send you for the show notes. 
Um, in the book, Thank it you. states that the game is overtly sexual, violent, and should be off limits to Christians. Um, and another good quote, I went through and I found so many fun quotes from this, but another good quote on um, the book calls out Dungeons and Dragons as a recruiting tool of Satan. Oh, is this the one that you sent me where they were saying that even like Smurfs were bad? Yes. It's the one where it's like role playing can be fine, but don't role play too hard because you will be trapped by the devil. It's the whole uh, you are what you act as yes. uh, th- sort of thought. And I'm not sure where they drew the line, but Dungeons & Dragons was not okay. Apparently the war games were okay. I remember you sent me this this publication. The interesting part was they were okay with like war games that the Dungeons & Dragons was based off of that Gygax played at the time and then made it high fantasy. However, uh, they, the, ide- the ex- excuse that the Christian writer gave was that War is okay to be role-playing because eventually you might have to fight in a war or something like that. I really couldn't yeah, but like, wrap my head around justification a, for um, being a dwarfing cleric, as it kept calling out specifically a dwarf cleric, because he it read is a like God-given five pages that you may take. of D&D and like, dwarfs are bad. Yeah, it, it was really weird seeing the justification between like being role-playing a soldier is okay because you might be a soldier for God one day, but also being a healer is not okay because... Uh, well, God didn't give you that mana. No. <laughs> so, continue. I'm sorry. No, it's fine. I love this. Uh, and in 1988, there was a murder case in which Chris Pritchard murdered his stepfathers. Authorities focused on him and his role-playing group due to the game map depicting the stepfather's house. So, again, Dungeons & Dragons is brought to this, oh, this is what caused these kids to commit a murder. Um, 1990, Pritchards and his friends, Neil Henderson and James Upchurch, which, ha, I, irony, Upchurch, went to state prison, but Dungeons and Dragons was not the main blame for the murder. 1988 led to 1989, the removal of references to demons, devils, and other controversial supernatural monsters from the second edition of Dungeons and Dragons, but later all that was returned to the books in the 90s and, like, up till 5th edition. Still got demons now. So I kind of have a fun anecdote with that. Um, When I started playing D&D, I was playing second edition because I got my books for free from a pothead that I worked with at the Jimmy John's. Um, And he had old books. And now I'm real disappointed that because of this stuff, I didn't get to have any demons in my D&D when I started playing D&D. See, but your soul would have been corrupted and taken by by Satan. So thank God you did not play it. Well, no, I mean, I've played later versions of D&D, so now all that demon stuff is back. It just meant when I was 16. Yeah, but now, now, now you know better. The Satan-y part of it. <laughs> you would be a different person today if it had demons in it. Just letting you know, Cody. Yeah, this would I be demon would. shop, not yeah. world shop. We would have been killing... Well, I'm just saying, like, you know, it would, would, it would have like been really show. terrible <laughs> if in those D&D games we were killing demons, because in our D&D games we were just killing people, you know? So I, I guess it would have been worse if we had been <laughs> fighting demons. Almost done with this... Early 1990s, the American Association of Suicidology, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, and Health and Welfare Canada all concluded that there was no casual link between fantasy gaming and suicide. And Yeah, but they also say vaccines don't cause autism, Jordan. Yeah, so I, yeah, I was going to say, you can't trust, trust the, man, the man, you know? That's that, what they want exactly. you to think. Exactly. So we can just throw that fact out. Um, 19... Demon Gate was an inside job. <laughs> Jeez, guys. <laughs> 1990, Michael A. Stackpole, 
authored the Pulling Report, a review that was highly critical of Patricia Pulling and BAD's method of data collection and analysis and reporting. So it was just going into how they would pull all their data about like, oh, five out of these kids will go into Satanism after playing Dungeons & Dragons. And it was just hypercritical of everything they did and kind of rejected a lot of the data that BAD had. It was all bad data. Hey, 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 I'll be here all week, guys. I'm going to find a new co-host. <laughs> Pick one of them. <laughs> well, I need a new host that does all the editing and all of the work as well, so it's going to be hard. Josh, stop pointing I, at me. Stop Jordan, pointing I actually at me, have one more thing for your timeline. Okay, so 2014, a, uh, a guy wins. I cannot. Oh, no, his name is J.R. Rawls, wins a lottery for like some few thousand dollars and decides to dump that into making a satirical remake of Darkest uh-huh. Dungeon, the Chick Track. Um. And he actually contacted, like, Chick, the guy. He just, like, sent him a letter and asked if he could make this movie and got permission to make the movie for free. <laughs> he didn't get charged anything for the rights to this Chick track that got made into a movie. And my favorite part of this movie that I have actually watched, it's kind of hard to get now, um, it's it's almost not a parody. Like, the, the, the guy that made it, J.R. Rawls kind of says, he's like, we didn't try specifically to make it a joke movie. We actually just shot for shot made the chick track, so it's and it's hilarious, like and yeah, it is. I, I was just going to say, yeah. The room's still <laughs> ambiguous. <laughs> I think it's almost better acted, because I'm pretty sure the actors kind of got it that this is ridiculous, because especially the woman that's like the leader of like the super D&D partiers is just like chewing the scenery. She's overacting so hard. And I loved it so much, but it really is just exactly what was in the chick track. And it is, is completely fantastic. bananas, but I love it. Just quickly, two more things is just that the research since then has been showing that depression and suicidal tendencies are not typically associated with role players as the games bring players together rather than alienating them. And then the kind of end of bad and really the biggest parts of the satanic panic were in 1997 when patricia a pulling died of cancer and after that they lost all of their fire because she was pretty much everything and anything holding them together so she was bad pretty much she was pretty bad nice i'm sorry oh i did not that was actually not intended no i was good i was proud of you uh, not anymore i i swear but yeah so okay you'll still to this day like you Go online and you can still see sermons and things like against Dungeons and Dragons. The whole like thought that Dungeons and Dragons is satanic still exists to this day, but it's not as mainstream as it was before. To the point where churches, most churches, are fine with it, and you'll even see like churches that believe they can use Dungeons and Dragons as a way to evangelize. So I found that interesting. You can play D and D, but you all must be clerics. Yeah. All clerics, no warlocks, <laughs> and you're all monotheistic. <laughs> so, what do we make of this, really? Because we've talked about the history of D and D and Satanism itself, and of the Satanic Panic. Like we've already talked about the fact that it's really, I think, it boils down to needing a way to externalize a blame on children, not growing up the way you'd like them to. Well, sometimes they don't grow up because they killed themselves. But, I mean, it's like... Woo! Uh, I'm sorry. But it's really a way to just deflect blame, I think. <laughs> I um, mean, you're not wrong. 
but <laughs> I, I really don't mean to do crass about it. But the, the fact is that it's just kind of this thing where, yeah, there have been actual cases in people who are claimed to be satanic killing people or them and or themselves. And uh, but really, when we look at this, that's such a small outlier. I mean, how many copies of D&D have been sold since it first released? Millions upon millions. Yeah. And how many of these cases have happened? Uh, handful. Handfuls upon maybe handful and a half or so. You know, it's just it, when you look at the statistics of that, it's it, it's ridiculous. It's you can blame anything on being responsible for Satanism now, and especially D and D. I feel like it just that caught the heat because it was popular. And not to say I will say it was a little bit. Um, opportunistic if not dickish on Gygax and Armisen's part because after James Dallas Egbert III killed himself that's when D&D had a sales spike and they did nothing to really yeah they did nothing to say anything back. yeah they kind of all rode press the wave. is good press yeah yeah truly I mean interpret that the way you want to but at the same rate it wasn't D&D that did it you know it yeah I think it's kind of it that's sort of an interesting point too, because like something I was going to bring up about specifically how D and D responded to this is that was kind of an exploded market for those guys. Like they were not like this big professional publishing house that had been making tons of games. Like Gygax made some games that sold to people, like the tiny group of people that were into war games. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's what he was catering to, and to all of a sudden have this kind of exposure, I think makes some amount of scandal inevitable and they definitely did not know how to handle it and then just yeah. didn't because they they had no infrastructure for that they didn't have like a pr department there wasn't like a spokesperson for gary gygax they just like went over to his house and interviewed him and he's like well, i don't know it's not my fault like great good you really made yourself seem <laughs> you seem like a grumpy old man <laughs> so uh, to like, let's just all pass the rumor flies gun around a little bit, and the uh the world shop, you know, uh katana. Do you guys use? Um, I like yeah, that. I'll fine. say claymore. Morningstar. Claymore. Okay, we'll just point <laughs> each of them at each other. We'll start with uh Cody, Jordan, Josh, Greg, then myself. Uh, I hope it's all the same answer. But do we think that that D and D has any part in satanic ritual abuse? Ooh, no. I'm gonna go ahead and say no. And I think it's just that it came at a time when this was a very new thing. Not too much of like a fantasy dealing with demons and all that existed. So people were afraid of it for no reason. I don't think that it is a part of a satanic ritual or satanic ritual abuse. I think if you want to do that, you could just grab a Ouija board. Okay, that's fair enough. Oh, Ouija boards are just as fake, Jordan. Come on. Yeah. Those were like made by Hasbro, Hasbro was made yeah. by the devil. <laughs> Nice. Oh, Parker Brothers, sorry. <laughs> is this something you guys no, have already talked actually, about? Did I did I just like both stick my right. foot? <laughs> uh, the licensing is to Hasbro and Parker Brothers. But anyway, yes. Uh, I'm uh, okay. going to have to take Cody's <laughs> side, side there. Anyway, uh, Greg, what's your consensus on this? Absolutely. Okay, moving on from the Frenchman. Uh, Josh, do you think this is a no? Uh, yeah, I, I definitely put in the no category. I, I mean, I think Jordan hit it on the head. It's it's a fear of the unknown kind of thing. So and, they just marry those two things together. And same I'm for me. Put in the no as well. It yeah. was the scapegoat of the decade. Notice that like this kind of like went away after I want to say honestly Columbine. I think it moved over to uh, musical That's artists like Marilyn Manson. I yeah. think Vigigate. Well, yeah, Vigi- Doom. Yeah, Vigigate. We'll get. I to was that. really um, gonna bring up but, like. I almost said it earlier, but I was wondering if someone had a segue. Into oh, is there already a segue that I won't well, say what I was going to say? 
Well, kind no, of. I, I could have gave you a segue. I, did you know I can run Doom on my, my phone? Oh, cool. Yeah. I can run Doom on the touch bar on my MacBook Pro. Oh. Fuck y'all. I can run Crisis on my Samsung smart fridge. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know how he's lying? Because no one played Crisis? Because... Because <laughs> crisis can't play on anything. Just a lie. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! All right. So for the second part of this, we're gonna let World Shop kind of lead us through a journey to building our own world. If uh, Satanic Panic was right and real, and um, you guys want to kind of uh, give us something we already have an idea of what we want to do for our world. Oh, but you want to give us the guidelines for for the most part. Go. Do you want to take it away or? All right, so basically in in format for our usual thing, we kind of have different categories, but the general prompt is like right now, D- so we're we're going back in time to, you know, the 70s and 80s when D&D is first starting to take off. Um, it's become very clear that it's being used to enlist and ensla- ensnare new recruits to the unholy legion of the great and fiery Satan itself. So we're going to go through some topics that we're going to talk about here. We want to talk about the history of kind of what happened in the past, like why is there this conflict between Satan and whatever? Um, present day, what does it look like right now? What are we fighting over? Uh, the D and D army itself. So how uh, how is D and D being used to recruit people, and what does that army of evil D and D players look like? And then kind of the end game. What, what's the end of our story? So you know, like we could say the fictitious present day, where fictitious. either you know the, the Satan worshippers have won or. No, I was doing air like quotes, but I realized no one could see me, so therefore. Oh. <laughs> I thought you were making fun of me for using an SAT air quotes, word, man, fictitious. No one could me, so I think I learned that in fifth grade. <laughs> you know, you just sound so snarky when you say words you know to what? me and they hurt, my, they hurt Jordan. I'm done with this show. <laughs> yes. That's fine. I'm just going to become a part of this other podcast now. The uh, first show to capture an on-air dissolution (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Uh, If we do that too many times, it's going to become a gimmick for our podcast. Uh, Anyways, shut up, Jordan. Anyways, (laughs) and so yeah, we're going to talk about the end game, where you know what what happened in the fictitious future. Um, So to kind of kick it off, and me and Jordan kind of bounce back and forth here. So what we want to know from you guys, yeah, what we want to know from you guys is what was the inciting incident way back in history? So, like, if you think about this as is there, like, some big battle between Satan and something else? Like, was there an inciting incident that created this conflict that has now taken the form of Dungeons & Dragons? We don't have as much ancient history, but we have an in media res thing that caused the modern panic to become very real very fast. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. I think, I like I think it. Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong, but our just a quick thing that helps kind of simplify things. D and D has all this lore about different gods and religions, and our D and D thing we're establishing assumes monotheistic. There is God and there is the devil. Whether or not the religions got exactly right is irrelevant, but that that dichotomy exists. Oh no, it applies to the Satan fallen angel. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So we're gonna go ahead and have a broad stroke for this main conflicting incident that really defines this world, I think. And it's going to take place in, say, 1990. Let's pick a nice date. What's your favorite day of the year? January 26th. January 26th, 1990. That is when the conflict became real. The satanic panic was starting to end. However, 
That's when the satanic panic was realized to be right. On that night, something known as the campaign ending was happening. I thought that was the next day. <laughs> God. For, for those of you who don't know, that's the day before Ryan's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> so I was wondering if he was going to catch on, but he didn't until just now. Hang on a second. Does that mean one of you is the Antichrist in this no, story? No, 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 I mean, no, no, he no, did no, talk no, about no, his no, favorite no, no, form no. of Satanism, so... So... Yeah, I know, right? I'm getting real concerned. Jordan, this is getting too real. Everybody has a favorite and a least favorite. I'm just brave enough to stay. I'm mine. just saying, so, it's, like, um, it's fine if you are the Antichrist. <laughs> We're fine with it. We'll get you to it, You can be Jordan. man, woman... Well, like, whoa, 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 yeah, Jordan. You, you I, I want you to speak for yourself on this matter. one, man. It's already Barack Obama, okay? That's fair. But, um... <laughs> but, uh so, uh, anyway, continuing on. Essentially what happened on this night, January 26, 1990, is a set of mass rituals happened. It was complete chaos. What happened was, across the United States, tons of different D&D campaigns were completed by a mass summoning ritual of demons. Where in this case... Thousands of both willing and unwilling offerings and sacrifices of humans were given to these satanic rituals and demons were summoned and lots of people died. Uh, If we're going to get back into the specifics of it, it all started when one day all these basement dwellers decided... Okay, also we're going into a very, very negative interpretation uh, yeah. of Dungeons and Dragons players. We, it is not mean to offend anybody no. for comedy's sake specifically. And we are steering hard into it. What, what has happened is... <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, that's going to get real gross if this whole thing no, is milady-ish. No. It wasn't going to be, but I'm we'll kind of considering the, it now. <laughs> we'll give you the broad strokes. How many fedoras are they Trilbies. wearing? I'm just Trilbies. curious. Was everyone... As you want, baby. So what happened is... Fedoras are bad, too. So what too. happened is, across basements in the world, demons were summoned. How did this happen? Well, it turns out that the DMs got together with all the rest of their players. And anybody that was designated to their particular classes were talking about, for one, war, uh, the rogues and the rangers were sent out to get unwilling Christians or non-D&D players, capture them, while the warriors held the rest of law enforcement at bay. And any other sort of military resistance that may have stopped this mass exodus of people from happening. <laughs> this was a training scenario. Wait, I just love this image of uh, people that have been playing D&D for years trying to go out and have a street fight with the cops. <laughs> like, some pasty nerd running out into the street and just taking a baton to the face. Like, I'm a warrior! <laughs> Once this happened, they were brought back over to... They were kidnapped. I mean, the, the, the rogues were able to do that. They brought them back to the basements where all the mages and paladins were able to actually conduct a, general, a genuine magic satanic ritual to summon demons. And what happens to the bars, you say? Josh, you want to tell them? We... We... Excuse me. I'm not Josh the, was a bard. <laughs> strong start. Strong start. Shut up, Greg. Uh, so the bards were entertaining everyone and helping helping the summoning of the demons by playing their vinyl records backwards of Ozzy Osbourne and or Led Zeppelin. It's a way to kind of, it's an incantation, if you oh. will. Turns out that worked oh, too. Snap. Yeah, so that was the bard's small part. Now, first, in order to complete this ritual to hopefully summon demons or Satan himself. You must lead with a... <laughs> <laughs> so... 
first off, the non-believers were killed. All the Christians that were captured, all the unwilling participants, the offerings, if you will. But you needed offerings and sacrifices to actually complete a, a summoning ritual. And the way they could tell the difference between those who were the believers and who were not was the simple tip of their cap. Oh, my like God. So. Yes, they, they made the Oh, t- my God. So... <laughs> Josh, I hate you now. Oh, it's fine. <laughs> so I, kn- I know we don't have cameras on, but can I assume? Oh yeah, you just oh, absolutely. Did, like, the, you know, absolutely. The and I know, and I'm sitting there going, nice "They're not." Grin. But see, here's the thing. I know. I'm real sad I, we don't I, have cameras on right I now. I know I that you can't that. see what I'm doing, but yes, you know, I know exactly what's doing. happening. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. in an absolute sacrilege. I could tell. <laughs> all the non-believers were killed off. The offering was made. But then before the sacrifice was made, they had to complete the rest of the ritual by first consuming not only the body of the Antichrist being a fi- flaming hot Dorito. Um, oh, my. <laughs> they had to drink the anti-blood of the Antichrist, which was, Greg, I'm what was it? Matthew ah, Code Red. Code Red. <laughs> it was a good pull. So now for the sacrifice. It's a little bit hard because there were still some people that may have been reluctant to summon these demons or to actually offer themselves up. So how they decide who would die first? Guess what they did? They rolled for rolled initiative. Oh my gosh, yes. After this was done, in most cases, yes, demons were summoned. However, there were a few people that managed to survive these rituals across the United States. These, dumbins, these demons came out for a little while, wreaked havoc, killed these a few more asses. people, yeah, and disappeared. But the people in the ritual that did not see the demon explicitly, also, they survived for some reason. We don't know why. Inexplicably. Cut to cut to this day. SAT that was word. the big incident. After that, there was a big drop in any D&D because, well, just about every D&D player was killed. <laughs> but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. So what other questions do we have to move on from? I think I covered a couple topics there. So I guess what was the historic conflict was already covered. Um, and so our... Are the Satan worshippers in power or are they underground? They're in power. Mm. This is underground. This originally uh, well, came from underground. Yeah, but they have the power of the underground. Like they're, they have the power of the underground. Yeah, they were heavily so, coordinated by the DMs. I think, I think, I think yeah. we're. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think we're 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 uh, interpreting that at cross purposes. From what. Um, forgive me for interrupting, but I was say the the way we discussed it earlier was that. The world is forever changed and everyone knows that something happened and governments and organizations are trying to keep some control, but there is a very clear and loud and known underground of this kind of occult. I think we likened it to Fight Club earlier. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So this actually changed the atmosphere. I think we decided that for this there, the religious... Uh, sex actually ended up becoming in power. Uh, call it religious police, if you will, to make sure this never happens again. All D and D was banned, and what, what did we land on, Greg? There were uh, there were basement yeah, raids. So there were knock milit- raids for yeah. basements to check for D and D. So I think what we said was like you had the religious orders and um, religious NGOs militarized, coordinating with governments. We had no knock raids, and do you want me to deliver the the other one? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> the uh, we had a stop and frisk, but so they'll they'll stop and frisk you for die. Uh, <laughs> oh no! So if you're, if you're carrying dice, that is a immediately a criminal offense. And if you are suspected, stop and frisk is in effect, baby. Well, I I know one of the things we talked about was was like an underground railroad society, but in this world, it's an actual railroad that people were on. Yes, so. that, that that we'll incorporate that somehow. Okay. But so this became instead of tr- separation of church and state, it became the church is the state. Yeah, oh. because they were right. There was a real okay. There was a real threat of Satan coming in, and people have seen demons. But one of the stipulations that I brought up was like it's not very Handmaid's Tale. Like it's not that aggressive, but it's yeah. something within that. This is vein, just the prequel you know? to Del- I think like you said, Josh. Reference. I think your example was the uh, the Peace Corps. You the, were Peace saying, Corps like, the Peace Corps, yeah, Corps I, yeah. AmeriCorps, any sort of NGOs out there. Like I, I really liked that idea. I, I love the idea of these existing apparatuses or apparati. I'm not sure how you'd say it. Are are now retooled for the new crisis. Like yes. I love that concept. <laughs> so to continue on to the uh, to the day, we're kind of mixing some of the questions that you guys have, but I want to be able to have your your guys' input on how to improve this world from whatever we can do. Um, I don't it, think they can. I, I I think they can. They are much better <laughs> than us at this. Oh, I know they are. Uh, so uh, continuing on, things were pretty quiet for a while until a couple of investigations started into how this resurgence may happen. And they had some religious police and investigators that found out that these survivors that survived the first campaign ending actually Mm. were something known as, in these record books of the basements, blind ones. Ah. These were people that were intentionally made to not see the demon so they could carry on to be the next DMs in the next Dungeons & Dragons campaign. Is this just Bird Box? I have not seen Bird Box. It's not Bird Box. I haven't no. seen it either. Uh, I have seen it. No, this Jordan, is more Indiana Jones and, the, Box and the, Lost Ra- the Raiders of Lost Ark. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly the comparison I was going to use, uh, actually. Just as long as you didn't see it, you didn't die. But a lot of people saw it. But the ones that they chose were continued to be DMs to recruit other people to play D&D. However, D&D is pretty much banned at this point. Further investigations go along and they find out how, why people are still congregating. And then they find out something interesting. People like to queue. Yes, people like... <laughs> uh, a couple... Wow. Uh, Sorry, I threw a wrench in that one. They found out that a couple of these quote-unquote blind ones found higher positions in the government and also mass media, particularly one entertainment company known as Blizzard Entertainment. <gasps> Oh man! Oh man! <laughs> the next campaign credit. was moved from the actual bar- board game of Dungeons and Dragons to the digital dispersion of Satanism and ritual sacrifice to end the next campaign and hopefully summon Satan himself through none other than the world of Warcraft. Oh, I thought you were going to say Overwatch. Shout out, Ryan. Yeah, I like that. Ryan, straight up, that was all him. <laughs> That was a hundred percent. That landing was, was I appreciate all him. That. Now, and how can we? No one remotely debated or reconsidered or retooled that, was awesome. that idea. No, absolutely not. He can't beat that. <laughs> how can we? How can we fill in some blanks here? Because I think there's some questions that we missed, and I would like you guys' input on, like, how we could do this world a little bit more. Because, um, you guys are the experts. Yeah. <laughs> So one thing I was curious about, and this is a little bit vague, um, 
what what is the goal of Satan in your scenario here? Like, is it just like convert all the souls and then kill all the souls so he has all the souls, or is does Satan have like a different end game in mind? Like, why why is he recruiting? Why is he being summoned? I think we kind of went back and forth about that. If uh, memory serves, uh, we we had talked about it. Sorry to just kind of jump in, but I. I from my discussion and Ryan and Josh, maybe y'all had a different conversation just for reference. Ryan and Josh are meeting in person. I am at home right now. So the, the conversation's slightly disjointed at the end. I have two days of filming in the next two days with a lot of memory cards and batteries. It's difficult. So all I'm hearing is excuses. That that's fair. So (laughs) the long and short of it though, is that I, I kind of came from the perspective of, it maybe is unknown exactly what Satan wants, but basically everyone has these little mobile Hogwarts of D&D where they can like learn spells and do real magic and stuff. So they're not really questioning it. Uh, but there's a lot of... Uh, we kind of went back and forth in it. Ryan and Josh, did, did y'all kind of get on something more concrete? I felt like we were all kind of open-minded about that aspect of it. We know it was a cyclic thing where the first campaign, quote-unquote was an attempt to bring Satan the first time. It failed because Satan didn't show up himself. However, demons did. The second one, we don't know. We're in current time. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. But the magic of D&D is particularly real, and in the same way that Satanism works, where it's a self-empowerment and bringing out your will, the, the roles you took as your classes kind of fed into how you could actualize things, like training as either a ranger or a rogue made you very good at kidnapping okay. or hunting down people because you believed it did. However, the mages, okay. they were actually able to do magic. Gotcha. They could use Mountain Dew to heal people if they needed to. Jesus Christ. Um, and one of the things that we talked about, and I, I don't think we brought it up, but I, I wanted to, was we talked about there was one event that kickstarted this whole thing that actually brought along all the summoning and everything. There was a, a particular person of power, of interest, a celebrity. I remember we talked about this. I don't remember who we landed on, but it was it was high political I don't think we figure. picked one. Yeah, let's I say, don't think right, we landed on one. Let's say it was Bono's Ugh. son. So Bono's son was a and d player and accidentally burned down his house. And uh, <laughs> there was an investigation, and the, one of the religious police found a D&D board with yes. a couple of notes in the basement. I don't know. We could work. I think we can okay. fix that one. Yeah. Well, I, it basically, it was like. I it, think the idea was that. Yeah. The original. It was idea a political was that cover it, up. Yeah. The idea was that, like, while it was starting to spread, there were rumbles, but the government, to avoid a panic, was trying to downplay it and like not really let it spread. But then, someone high profile, their child was involved, and now it's a world known issue. There's no obfuscation or campaign. Everyone knows that. Something demonic is happening. Magic is real. God is real. Satan is real. And some shit's going down with Satan and people he is bringing into the fold. That is kind of the world we're in. We're in this transition phase. And they're waiting for it to come back. So I have a couple questions just real quick. So is World of Warcraft um, more of a recruiting tool? Or is that something that actually grants people magic powers such as D&D did? That's a great question. Yeah, that's a very. I think question. in this sense, it's more of an unwitting, uh, uh like complete. Like you're getting drawn into this ritual, not even knowing about it. It's mainly left up to the devs at Blizzard and a couple of other MMOs that are all coordinating. I yeah, I think we took it all as more like a vessel more than anything for D and D. Maybe there's a maybe there's like a a, a Manchurian candidate like you know code word or like they flash it on there uh, when 
oh, okay. When they kill one of the highest level uh, raids, like one that's completely unbeatable, that's when the trigger goes off and they know the players are ready. And they self-actualize themselves and go out and carry out the satanic ritual. Yeah, like also, new- you have the secondary benefit of if people like WoW and they yeah. want something more um, that customizable, then they might turn to D&D in the same way that Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, things like that are a access point for people into nerd culture who may have not otherwise been predisposed to it. We know that WoW isn't just for disenfranchised people in society anymore, but it's fun for this purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Jordan, do you have another question? Because I I, uh, I got one. Yeah, the the second question is, where did all the demons go? Oh, that was my question. I wanted to ask what... You were like, demons showed up and then nothing happened with the demons. What are the demons doing? You you know, like when you... Where um, are all the demons at? You know when like you have those shake flashlights where they only stay on for a certain amount of time? (laughs) That's what the sacrifices were. The demons that were bonded to each ritual in each basement we're essentially given a certain amount of energy from these sacrifices and offerings. Okay. And they went back to the nether realms See, after that so was these... done. It's kind of like, it's kind of like when you got a fart, <laughs> but run to the bathroom and you're worried you did a number two and something definitely <laughs> happened, but it wasn't, it wasn't, you didn't actually have number two in your pants. So you dodged the bullet, but you know that there's a risk. Very, yes, very the... good explanation. <laughs> How often is this happening to you? Uh, once every eight to ten years. <laughs> well, I mean, nice we, save. We talked nice this save. In the podcast. Like you, every once every ten years, you have to reset your clock. Ten yeah, year like, rule, baby. Like you have ten years before it happens again, <laughs> and then when it does, your clock resets and you have another ten years. Yeah, at that point, Mount Vesuvius is almost back in action. Yeah, <laughs> it, it just it happens. Wait, why didn't it say Mount Vipuvius? Ah, so what you're telling me is, not unlike pooping your pants, once every 10 years, there's going to be demons just getting pooped sometimes, out into the world. Sometimes you just get a chronic case of the mud butt. <laughs> <laughs> so now we managed to make bathroom jokes over Satan. Um, yeah, so let's see if we can get any more questions. Do you guys have anything you'd like to add that would make this a little bit more spicy or... Um, more so demonic. Okay, so <laughs> Cody, do you have a question first? Because then I'll ask mine after you. Uh, no, you can go. You can go. I have a comment, but we we can move on. Okay. So so one of our questions for the whole D and D army section of this is: Are game stores the hotbeds of sin? And that's something I want to know. Is like, is that a place where they congregate, or are you just? Well, you just stole my question. I wrote that I question. Know, and I really like that question, so I stole it. Well, we we talked about like it's a funny question. We talked about like GameStop being like the new Church of Scientology, like the pillars of the community where people go. Yeah, that's really a two pronged approach. If we're going for classic game stores, that's more of a tam- a taboo antique shop or something that it's really hard to come across like a. Um, a specific tabletop local gaming store now, not because that's literally how it is right now, but even back then, like, you know, after this whole ritual, nobody wanted to have that sort of like, that's like selling grenades at Walmart. I don't know. It's a, (laughs) it's a good analogy. It's just something that you don't want to be known for doing. Yeah. However, there might be a black market for D and D board games. Because that was used as more of a training scenario. The DMs were meant to pass on the knowledge of the ritual. So, yes, I would assume that some game stores, like traditional game stores, would be like that. But in terms of, um, you know, something like GameStop, Walmart, Target, no, you're, you're out in the dark. It's just a very under-the-surface under, under the surface type of coercion. So it's kind of like 
going to the black market to get your 20 sided die. Yes. Yeah. That would be awesome. Like, like it would be almost like going to a drug deal. It's like, Hey, yeah, you got the 20 sided. Yeah. Well, like that stupid show with, uh, with uh, the ogres and the wand that got found. Shrek. No, not Shrek. <laughs> not that one. <laughs> that one's pretty good too. That's not stupid. Okay. I'm talking about the one with, uh, what was it? It was like there were police and there was, it was, I think Will Smith was in it. It's about bright. Oh, bright. I never saw it. I just called oh it stupid. Oh my gosh. Uh, bright. Oh no, we we are at a consensus. It's it stupid. is stupid. Bright's okay. really bad. I, think- I liked the world building a lot. Jordan, I thought you liked that movie. Yeah, I, I liked it, but I also see your point of not liking it. I have a lot of issues with it, but yeah. I'd like to see a better director take over it. Yeah, and I like them to explain the dragon that flew through the background and no one ever talked about ever again. All right, uh, Cody, what's your comment? <laughs> okay, so my comment was about uh, the kind of the role of World of Warcraft. And this is, like, I don't know if this is a suggestion or just asking if this kind of makes sense. Do you think that when people play World of Warcraft, um, I just finished listening to the book Armada, which is basically Ender's Game if you haven't listened to Armada. But anyways, um, it kind of has that thing in Ender's Game, you know, where like he's playing a video game, but then it kind of like turns out it's real. Oh. Is it sort of like when you're playing WoW, it's like you're doing satanic rituals and they actually count, but the people don't know? Minus the element, though, that it was a training program versus you're actually murdering. And it's it's actually funny you mention that because I had the same thought, <laughs> Cody, about Armada in particular. So, yeah, I was kind of on the same wavelength as you with that. But, um, I, yeah, I, I agree with Greg. So it's an Ender's Game type of situation that I can live with that. But yeah, you're right. Where it turns out that like what there are some people that are just sleeper cells that get avatared and decide that uh, they're going to go out and collect the the ritual. Okay. No, I kind of I like I like that nefarious side of it where it's like you don't you don't exactly know you don't realize that that's like a bad thing. I like that. Yeah. Uh, what we never even said this in the entire time. Uh, Satan's greatest uh, trick on the world was convincing the world they never existed. That fits right in line. And his with it. second trick was making World of Warcraft. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Jeff Kaplan is a high priest in the church. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> so anyway, um, guys, thank you so much for having us oh, or us having. Uh, there is one thing, Greg. You wanted to talk about something, the comic. Oh God! Thank you, thank you for catching that. That was Josh. Well done. Um, so I don't know if, how much how big comic fans you two are. Um, but Karen Gillen, who does amazing, amazing comic book work, um, there's a series he's doing right now called Die, um, like a di- individual dice. Uh, issue three came out. Issue four is coming out soon. I am blown away. Issue one, you're like, this is really interesting, like eight out of ten. Issue two, ten out of ten. Okay. No, like the artwork is gorgeous, and the super short premise is that um these kids in the 80s i believe it's the 80s i gotta think back on it um are gonna play dungeons and dragons and one kid has his hands on a magic d20 that brings them into the world and basically the comic book events are set i think 30 years after that or 20 25 years after the event where they did go to this world something happened one of them was left behind And now, basically, the die has reemerged and is calling them back to the world. Yeah, no, that sounds right up my alley. That, and let me that tell you something, amazing. man. The artwork, out of control. 
and the writing, dude, issue two, especially I can, there's a panel that's burned into my brain. I'm just like, that was the moment I fell in love. I was like, I am, I, I never order single issue comic books. I, I only got into comics in the last like two years or so producing a podcast. And let me tell you something. I now have my buddy who goes every week to pick up comics and I have that on his pull list to buy for me. Yeah. I, I want all the individual issues of the first arc of this comic. I, I think it's going to be a massive success. It is beautiful. It is the story is incredible, and Karen Gillan, for those of you who don't know, is an amazing, oh, yeah. amazing guy. Uh, his, his work is phenomenal, so definitely check out Die. I will definitely check that out. Greg, if you're getting paid by them, we're not getting a cut from that, nah. are we? <laughs> I, I wish I was getting paid, man. I, I Oh, my God. that It's so good. That Karen. sounds absolutely amazing, anyway, honestly. I'll have to check it out. So uh, to wrap this up real quick, guys, thank you so much for being on here. Um, how can you find World Shop? And then we'll have Greg do his little bit. <laughs> uh, um, you can find us on the Podcast Garden or on iTunes. Um, yeah, we're going to be making a Twitter soon, much to my detest. Um, but whatever. But yeah, main place is the Podcast Garden. Okay. And, oh, sorry. And, wow, uh, I'm Greg? an idiot. I am stupid. <laughs> Wandering Gamer yeah, Jordan, I thought you were just pretending like you weren't like affiliated I forgot with me that we anymore. have a I was like, "Oh, okay. No, don't worry about the Wandering Gamer Network." Cody, Cody, you talk about the Wandering Gamer Network. I'm a freaking moron. The Wandering Gamer Network's uh, a podcast where we do actual play podcasts of like D&D and Fantasy Flight Star Wars, and then we also just do random systems that we found on Kickstarter, so we do a bunch of different systems. Yeah, so nice. Wandering Gamer awesome. Network is where you can find us in most of the episode. Um, Podcast Garden, you can find individual episodes and also iTunes. I messed that one up. <laughs> uh, Greg, do you want to give us our tagline or whatever spiel? You can find us at riverfliespodcast.com, at riverflies on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. You can find us at patreon.com slash riverflies. And check us out on Google+. Uh, Plus. Oh, wait, I'm still defunct. broken up about um, the Google+. I'm Plus. working on our... Oh, dude, it's it's uh, I'm pretty sure it's the death of the podcast, but we will fight on. And I'm looking forward to launching our MySpace page. Be ready for the launch event <laughs> okay. for that. And right. What about a Zynga? Are you going to do a Zynga? Oh, oh you have no idea, man. Uh, it, it's going to be after after uh, my live journal clears uh, moderation. I, I, I was waiting for a live journal joke. Greg. Screw there you Instagram. Go, we have Flickr. Geosites. Right. Oh, I wanted um, to just say geosites and it felt weird. I thought it was geosites. <laughs> I wanted to scream geosites. Geocities, or space, isn't it? Oh, gosh. I'm Geocities. sorry. I all never right, had God, for a second, I thought I had it wrong. Uh, all right. All right, guys. Um, we got to go, but thank you so much for having us or coming on to our show, too. Uh, this has been a great, like, crossover episode. And thank you for um, making the effort to make this work because I think y'all picked a great topic to cover. Yeah, Thanks for hanging out. Really fun. Yep, thank you. We appreciate yep. it. <clears throat> All right. Uh, well, for this episode of Rumor Flies, I'm Ryan. I'm Josh. And I'm Greg. All right, oh, God. bye. And I'm Jordan. I'm Cody. <laughs> Got him. Bye.